Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20 is the passage in front of us today. It's our next section of the Sermon on the Mount. Before we get into it, we'll do a quick checkup to see how everyone's doing. How have you done this week at obeying the Ten Commandments? How did the Ten Commandments go for you this week? I'll refresh your memory. Uh, did you have any other gods before the Lord your God? Did you worship anything or anybody more than you worshiped the Lord God? Uh, did you make any carved images of gods and worship those this week? Did you use the Lord's name in vain at all this week? Uh, thinking back to last Sunday, did you keep the Sabbath holy dedicated to the Lord? Did you honor your father and mother this week? Did you murder anyone this week? Did you commit adultery this week? Did you steal anything this week? Did you give a false witness against someone this week? And finally, did you covet anybody else's stuff this week? So that's the, the, the famous Ten Commandments. How'd you do this last week at obeying the Ten Commandments? Do we still need to obey the Ten Commandments as Christians? What about the 600 plus additional commandments that are in the Old Testament? Do we need to obey all of those? Did you guys do a good job of obeying all the 600 plus commandments of the Old Testament this week? I'm going to list them out one by one just like I did with the Ten Commandments. What about the commandments related to oils and skin rashes? In Leviticus, there's certain protocol that the Old Testament gives for how you deal with skin issues. Did you guys abide by that this week? What about the commandments in the Old Testament about putting people to death for certain sins? Did you guys participate in any of that this week? So we don't think a whole lot about the Old Testament law, but the people that Jesus was talking to originally did. They had to think about all these laws and commandments. We feel a little removed from them. They're not really that much a part of our daily reality. They absolutely were for these folks. They had the scribes and the Pharisees laying these laws upon them, all 600 plus laws, in addition to that, they would make rules about those commands. So, for example, they, they would, in trying to keep the Sabbath holy, they would make rules about how to do that. You had to follow those rules. They would ask, okay, well, if we're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath, what constitutes work? Like, if I pick up this piece of paper, is that work? Have I broken the Sabbath? Well, that was really light. Maybe if I pick up something heavier, like my notebook, is that considered work? Or the podium? Like, at what stage does it become work? And they would make all these detailed rules and laws and impress these on the people. So the people were carrying all the commands in the Old Testament, the laws of the Old Testament, and the rules of the scribes and Pharisees on their backs. And then here comes Jesus. And then he was contradicting scribes and Pharisees, pointing out their hypocrisy, and preaching about grace and mercy and forgiveness. And so those folks were probably wondering, is this Messiah going to abolish all these Old Testament laws? Did he come to abolish those? 
And we don't have to try to obey all these commands and then all these rules of the scribes and Pharisees. Our passage today is Jesus' answer to that question. You can see how it would have been relevant to them. I hope you can also see how it's relevant to you. Because the Old Testament is still in our Bibles. And we need to figure out, what are we supposed to do with that? This passage is going to help us understand it. And I'd like to just read the whole thing, and then we'll go back through and look at the verses more closely. Starting in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus, continuing the Sermon on the Mount, says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now this is an intense paragraph for them and also for us if we're really thinking about it. So the, the main answer to this question Jesus offers is that Jesus doesn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, what we call the Old Testament. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. He didn't come to abolish. He came to fulfill. That's verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So to abolish means to destroy or overthrow. That's the word we use for what our nation did in regard to slavery. We abolished slavery. We didn't modify slavery. We didn't make some adjustments to slavery. We abolished it. It's gone. They were wondering, perhaps Jesus came to do that with the law and the prophets. Maybe he came to abolish it, to destroy it, to overthrow it, to remove it from us and, and bring something totally new. But Jesus says that that's not the case. When he says the law and the prophets here, he's referring to the Old Testament, and specifically the parts of the Old Testament that tell God's people things to do. He didn't come to abolish those things. He came to fulfill them. He doesn't want them to think that he came to abolish those things. He says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I mean, they, they likely see the contrast between him and the scribes and Pharisees. They likely expected him to, to take the Old Testament scriptures and, and toss them out. We were watching a TV show the other night, and there was a professor who said, everybody take out your textbooks. And all the students took out their textbooks and he said, now throw them away. So they all threw their textbooks in the garbage because he was going to teach them some fresh new lessons. They probably were expecting, maybe that's what Jesus is going to do with the Hebrew Bible. Get rid of it. Like what you would do if you came across an old VCR manual. If you were we cleaned out a lot of stuff, if, if you came across an old VCR manual, what would you do with it? Well, it's out of date now. That's antiquated. I don't even have a VCR anymore. I'm certainly not going to study this VCR manual. I'm going to throw it out. 
They seem to think that perhaps that's what Jesus might do. Many Christians actually kind of treat the Old Testament as if that's what Jesus did. But Jesus is correcting that. To no, I came to fulfill it. That's why we do still have the old, what we call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible in our Bibles. If, do, do this for me real quick. I did this this morning just out of curiosity. Find the beginning of Matthew in your Bible and the end of Revelation and just hold it together. I don't know if you'll find this interesting, but I did this morning. This is what it looks like in my Bible. This little, that little thickness of, of text, as opposed to all of this. If Jesus had abolished the law and the prophets, we would have all this. We would have this slender Bible. This is all there would be. But as it is, all that remains, and that's on purpose. Because Jesus didn't come to abolish all that thickness of the Old Testament. He came to fulfill it. So it's absolutely necessary. Okay, thanks. I don't know if you found that intriguing at all. I just thought it was interesting how thin our Bibles would be if he had tossed out the Old Testament. To know I came to fulfill all of that, to make it full and complete. Verse 18, he goes on, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Iotas and dots, that's um, kind of similar to the uh, dotting the I and crossing the T. It's the smallest little bits of writing out the Hebrew scriptures. So not, not one dot from an I, not one cross from a T will pass away until everything is accomplished. Until everything is brought about. And that's what Jesus came to do. So, how does Jesus fulfill these aspects of the Old Testament? I don't want to get bogged down in this, uh, but I do want to briefly explain how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. Particularly here, he's talking about the law, as we get in verse 18. It's clear to see how he fulfills the prophets. At one part in the Gospels, he gets up in the temple and reads from Isaiah. And he reads a passage from Isaiah that's prophesying toward the Messiah. And he says, truly I tell you today, this prophecy is fulfilled right here, right now. He said, I am the Messiah, so I am fulfilling the prophets. But how does he fulfill the law? Okay, quick seminary time here. There's different types of laws in the Old Testament. And we won't go real in-depth on this, but just real briefly, there's different types of laws. There is the ceremonial law. That's where you start dealing with uh, boils and skin rashes and things that, that make you unclean to worship God in the temple and be in God's presence. Hebrews teaches that those things are like a shadow of what was to come in Jesus, and Jesus was the actual substance. So the reason we don't do all this cleanliness laws is because Jesus makes us fully and finally clean. So you can see how he fulfills those parts of the law. You had the judicial law. That's where you get laws like putting people to death for certain types of sins. Jesus brings in with him in the new kingdom a, a new administration, a new uh, way of dealing with sin that doesn't require people to be physically stoned to death. Here, he was put to death for our sins. So you can kind of see how he fulfills the judicial law. And then finally you have the moral law. And that is really what Jesus begins to focus on as he continues in the Sermon on the Mount for many passages to come, not just the passage we're in today. That's where you get things like the Ten Commandments and honoring your father and mother and not committing adultery. That's the moral law. 
Hang on to that one, because that's where Jesus begins to zero and narrow his focus as he continues. But for now, just get the big idea that all of the Old Testament points to Jesus, including the law, including the prophets. So he's not going to get rid of it all. It's there in order to point to him. It's like the first part of the movie. You don't just want to watch the ends of movies. You want to watch the entire thing, including the first part of it. You need the first part, all that rising action, for the second part to find its place and fully make sense. And so it is with the New Testament and the Old. You need that part. Uh, Meredith and Kara and Cassie and Anna have a weekly Bible study. You know, whenever someone gets baptized, I want them to be baptized into a discipling type relationship. Uh, Cassie and Anna were baptized somewhat recently. Kara and Mary were the ones that paired up with them for discipleship. So they meet in the screen porch at the parsonage, and they are going through the Bible, starting from Genesis 1-1, and they are working through the Old Testament. Now, very few new Christians do that. But they are doing that. They've got a book that leads them through. They are hurling through the Old Testament. I am so impressed with their diligence and the hard work that they show studying the Old Testament. Now, if Jesus had come to abolish all that, that would have just been such a waste of time for those, for those young women to do that. But as it is, it's absolutely not a waste of time. It, it is hard work, and it's going to take them a while. Uh, what book of the Bible are you in right now? Second Kings. Second Kings. But it's absolutely worthwhile studying the Old Testament, studying the law, because of how it points to Jesus and because of how Jesus fulfills it. You can almost think of those aspects of the Old Testament like the legs of a table. You don't just need the tabletop, you need the legs of the table. And as a Christian, if you only ever study the New Testament, you're always going to have this wobbly table of an understanding of Jesus Christ. So you need what's in the Old Testament as well. And this has implications for us. Jesus did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill them. The simple, straightforward implication for us is that means we need to take the Old Testament seriously. We need to take the Old Testament law seriously. Verse 19 says as much. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments... And teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now this must have been startling for these people who began to follow Jesus because they sensed in the kingdom that he was bringing in some relaxation from all the burdens of the law that the scribes and Pharisees were constantly laying on them. But he he really is doubling down on it here. If you think about trying to follow the Old Testament law like riding a bike, it's riding a bike up a steep hill. Arduous effort, and as soon as you let your feet off the pedal for a second, you're going back down. And so they must have sensed in Jesus, oh, they were cresting the hill, we're getting some relief from this wall that we cannot seem to keep. And as they crest the hill, they see just another hill, apparently, Jesus says. No, I'm doubling down on this. Whoever relaxes even one of the, the most minuscule commands will be least in the kingdom. Those who do them and teach them will be great in the kingdom. Now what could he have meant here? Does he mean that Christians are supposed to do even more than the Pharisees to obey the Old Testament law? 
The Pharisees would tithe out of their spices. So do you guys need to next week bring a tenth of out of your spice rack here to Dylan's Grove? We need to start tithing our ketchup packets from McDonald's. Really drilling down on the most minuscule ways of obeying the Old Testament law. Do we need to think about the Sabbath and really start to identify what is working, what isn't working? How can we how can we get serious about obeying each tiny bit? Well, the next verse is essential, and it's where we'll land. Verse 20 is so important. He says, For, he said all of that, and he says, For, because, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So you're riding this bike up and so trying to obey all God's commands. Now it's like Jesus is doubling down on it even harder. And now he's saying to you, not only must you keep pedaling up the hill, you need to be faster than Lance Armstrong. You need to be better at obeying these commands than even the scribes and Pharisees. They were like professionals at trying to obey these commands. Now at that point, if you're on that bike on that steep hill, I really think you would just stop. You would just get off the bike and give up. There's no way. There's no way you and I can obey the Old Testament law better than the scribes and Pharisees. It's just not going to happen. And I think that's the whole point of what he's getting at. We need to take the Old Testament law seriously. We need to take even more seriously than the scribes and Pharisees, which can only lead to giving up our own efforts to try to keep the entire law. Uh, I have a little, when trying to hand a parable, Jesus taught using parables. This is not historically going well for me, but I've got a little parable I thought of to try to explain what I think. I believe Jesus is, is trying to get at here, what he is getting at. So, imagine a father asks his three children to wash the family minivan. He asks his three young children, need to wash the family minivan. So the oldest of the children goes out there and looks at it and says, I'm not, I'm not tall enough to reach the top. I can't even get that. My arms aren't really long enough to really vacuum well. I'm not really strong enough to hold the vacuum and deal with vacuum under the seats and reach all the stuff under there. So I just forget it. I'm not even going to do it. And walks back in the house, starts playing Xbox. Doesn't even, isn't even going to try. The middle child walks out. It starts to try and sees quickly that the arms aren't long enough to reach the top of the minivan and they're not strong enough to really deal with the vacuum very well. They can't really get underneath all the seats all that well. So the middle child takes the command to wash the man seriously enough to at least try to cover up for what they can't do. So they try to adjust the mats as such to cover up all the stuff they can't get the vacuum to reach and they, they, they find like a towel or something kind of stuff under the seat to cover up all the debris that they can't reach to get out. And they just hope that they will look at the top of the amen that they can't reach. And they consider it done. They consider themselves having obeyed. And then the youngest child goes out, sees that he can't possibly reach the top of the amen. There's no way that he can lift the back of the No way that he can get underneath the seats to get all that debris. And instead of getting up, instead of trying to cover up the fact that he can't accomplish it, he goes back to the father and says, I really want to obey, but I just can't do it. Now, which one of the three took the command to wash the man the most seriously? Which one took that command the very most seriously? 
Was the older brother that just said, forget it, I'm not doing it? No. I, th- I would say the middle brother took it more seriously than the older brother. They at least tried to pretend they were doing it. But the youngest one actually took it very most seriously because the youngest one wasn't going to just say, forget it, I'm not doing it. And it wasn't going to settle for pretending to do it. They were going to insist on actually accomplishing what this command was aiming at. A clean minivan. I think that's what Jesus is trying to push us to. He doesn't want us to read this about the Old Testament law and just say, well, forget it. I can't do that. I'm, just not, I'm not going to go to church anymore. I'm not going to try to pretend. He also doesn't want us to do what the Pharisees and scribes did, which was to pretend that they were obeying all the law, when in reality their hearts were far from God. He wants something new. He wants people to come to him and say, I can't. Will you please help me? And that's exactly what Jesus does. For our righteousness to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees is for us to stop trying to externally look like we're obeying the commands and go to God and allow Him to internally transform us to where we actually are able to. Jesus did not like the scribes and Pharisees, even though they were the most diligent in trying to keep the law. And the reason he did not like their approach was because they were hypocrites. And he said to them, you're like whitewashed tombs. You look beautiful on the outside. You look like you're really doing a good job. But I know the inside. And inside, it's like writing decaying death in there. That first commandment, no other gods before me. That's not just about not worshiping idols. It's about genuinely loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You can avoid worshiping idols without the eternal reality of actually loving the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But God's not pleased until we get to that level of real reality, obedience to the law. And it's not something that we can accomplish on our own. You know, there's a command, don't commit murder. We laughed when I read that one because I really doubt looking at you that any of you committed murder this week. But in our next passage, Jesus is going to press that further. And it's not just about not murdering, it's about genuinely valuing the people around you. To where you won't even hate them, you won't even insult them, even under your breath, or even in your mind, or even in your heart. You know, that command about not committing adultery isn't just about not committing adultery. It's that even, even looking lustfully, as someone breaks the command, might as well be committing adultery. He's pushing his followers to take the law even more seriously than the scribes and Pharisees took the law. Seriously enough to admit that they can't do it, they need help, they need salvation. Now, I can say I forgive you, but can I actually make myself let it go? You can act humble. But can you actually turn off that that self-oriented way of thinking? You can be nice, but can you make yourself love unlovable people? We as Christians are those who go to Jesus and say, I can't, like those kids trying to watch them again, I can't do it on my own. I can't reach my heart. I see that I need a Savior. I see that I need forgiveness. I need the transformation that only you can bring. And He does it for us. He does it with us. Or we think about the bike illustration. 
A Christian isn't one who's just straining against the pedals, trying harder than everybody else, and therefore getting higher up the hill. A Christian is someone who has laid their body down and let Jesus pick them up and take them up the hill. Jesus did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill them, to make them full and complete, to bring about the perfect obedience in his own life, to die on the cross to pay for our clear and evident disobedience. And then through the Holy Spirit that Ron spoke about, to empower us to actually begin to live by God's ways from our heart and not just externally. So we take the Old Testament very seriously, even more seriously than the scribes and the Pharisees did. Seriously enough to realize our need for Jesus as our Savior. So if you're like the, the oldest brother in the little parable, and if you're honest, you just said forget it, you're not even really trying to obey anymore. Maybe there's some besetting sin that's gotten a hold of your life and you've just not been able to, to get a grip on it. I just encourage you to turn to Jesus and prayerfully just ask for the salvation, the forgiveness, the grace, the mercy, and the help that you need to be free from that sin and to repent and turn toward God. That's why Jesus died on the cross. If you're more like that middle child in the little parable, and you're getting pretty good at looking good and looking religious and looking holy, even though underneath the surface you have undealt with sin there, same thing. Turn to Jesus and find the forgiveness and mercy and grace that you need. If you're like that youngest son, you just realize that you can't. Same thing. Turn to Jesus. That is why he is here. That is how he fulfills the Old Testament law. Mercy, grace, forgiveness, newness, new hearts, Holy Spirit to empower us to live the way God desires. That's what he's bringing in the kingdom of heaven. He did not want his followers going the way of the scribes and Pharisees and getting really good at pretending. He wants his followers to come to him through Jesus and be made new. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us your word, both the Old and New Testaments. Lord, we confess that in our own efforts, we cannot be holy enough to be made right with you. So we're so grateful for our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, who did live out perfectly all of your laws and who fulfilled all of your Thank you for his pain on the cross for our rebellion. Thank you for making a way for everyone who trusts in him to be forgiven and made right with you. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit to empower us to begin to live a new life according to your word. And I pray for each person here. You know each of our uh, situations. You know where we each stand with you. I pray that you would, uh, through your Holy Spirit, move us forward based on your word this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah.